Autism Through Cinema. Welcome to the Autism Through Cinema podcast, investigating autistic presence and expression on screen. This podcast is brought to you by the Autism Through Cinema project based at Queen Mary, University of London and funded by the Wellcome Trust. For more on the project, please visit our website, autism-through-cinema.org.uk and follow us on Twitter at at autismcinema. If you're a fan of this podcast, please do spread the word. Leave us a review, share our episodes on social media, or just drop us an email on cinemaautism at gmail.com to let us know what you like about the show. Many thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Hello and welcome back to the Autism Through Cinema podcast. I'm joined today by Lillian Crawford. How are you doing, Lillian? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing just great. <laughs> um... And I'm also joined by Janet Harbord. How are you, Janet? I'm very well this morning. Thanks, Georgia. No worries. So today we're going to be talking about specifically the, just the topic of, of female horror. That was something that was floated around as something uh, that we wanted to discuss in relation to a podcast. Um, and specifically the films of Juliet. Lillian, how do you pronounce her name? Because I always get it wrong. Well, it's either Ducanel or Ducanel. I'm not sure. So Ducanel. Either, okay. either will be fine. All right. I don't think so... she's going to listen, so she won't be offended. <laughs> maybe, you never know. Um, that's maybe True. quite nervous now. So we're talking about uh, Julia Ducanel, uh, who is a French film director. Uh, she has two feature films that she's directed now. Uh, well, Raw... she's done three. Oh, she's done three. She did a co-directing uh, film called Eat or Monge. But that anyway. makes sense that it's called <laughs> Eat. But we're going to be talking today about Raw. So I think, first of all, I just wanted to talk about why we can talk, why we talk about autism in, in relation to horror and perhaps some of the the things to be careful of and, you know, just clarifying the fact that by correlating these two things, we're not saying that the experience of autism is horrific, um, but it's more about, I would suggest, the reactions to things and the reactions to the neurotypical world that sort of create this sense of horror. Uh, the horrors of the ordinary, of masking, of conformity, uh, of your own body and of a society that isn't really built for you. So... To summarise, Raw is about uh, a young, uh, innocent, vegetarian girl called Justine. And she starts at veterinary school. And at veterinary school, she's subject to brutal initiations, bullying and hazing by other students. Uh, anyone who's been to university, especially, you know, it reminded me of when I went to a university in America and there's so many sort of hazing rituals I personally wasn't subjected to, but I heard stories of that really do genuinely sound like they're straight out of a horror film. Um, but these are just sort of accepted as things that you do for fun. And so one of these initiations includes being forced to eat a raw rabbit kidney by her older sister, Alexia. 
So this leads to a growing craving for raw meat, um, specifically that of human flesh, which is an activity that Justine is enabled into doing by her sister. Really, this, for me, manifests as the idea of not knowing what is normal and abnormal and being in a situation where you're guided by your peers and you're guided by the people that you aspire to be, the people that are around you, the people that bully you, uh, the people that make you want to fit in and you will do what you need to to fit in to gain approval. And in this process, there's a sort of stripping down of identity uh, out of willpower and of your sense of being in your own body, which is a theme that resonates quite heavily across all of Ducourneau's work, especially in Titan. And this being stripped of identity and this anxiety, um, it sort of leaves you, so to speak, chewed up <laughs> and spit out by this same you know, society that you're trying to fit in. And so this, again, isn't to suggest that autism and the horrific have a lot in common, but it's more so the horror of tradition, the horror of society and conformity and being forced to explore this uncharted territory rather than being rather than being allowed to learn and experience it at your own pace. So there's a lot of things in this film specifically about sexuality and this sort of blurred line of sexuality when it comes to puberty and adolescence. Um, Ducorno does this well. I think it's also good to mention other female directors who tap into this sort of anxiety of adolescence or the anxiety of being a woman specifically. Anna Lily Amipour does this, Nida Costa, Jennifer Kent, Karen Kusama to an extent as well. And this is also to mention um, cannibalism uh, in a lot of films as sort of a metaphor for sexuality. I've recently finished watching Yellow Jackets uh, which was produced by Karen Kusama, who directed Jennifer's Body. And it's about these sort of high school girls who get stranded in the wilderness and have to resort to eating each other, basically. Um, but there's a lot of these different sexual tensions amongst these girls who are kind of in their mid-teens, mid to late teens. And th so this is something that is quite apparent in a lot of films. Jennifer's Body as well is quite obvious. Um, but I'd suggest here it's also indicative of a sense of self-destructiveness that stems from a sort of self-hatred, a hatred of one's own body, a sort of self-inflicted masochism, which is a form of punishment, but also a form of self-discovery, which I think it blurs the boundary between your yourself and your own body, which I find really interesting. There's also you know, taps into the, the whole concept of the like Freudian death drive, which is a bit of a... Uh, but all this is sort of the result of, I would say, the trauma of puberty, which is something on a personal level that I really resonate with in films. I, I've We've talked a lot on the podcast before about David Lynch and how David Lynch's films make uh, sort of ordinary things so horrifying because that, in a sense, is the experience of growing up uh, in this age or just growing up in general. And I think Raw also taps into this as growing up as, as a woman. Um, so they're my initial thoughts. Yeah, I'm interested to hear what other people have to say. Thank you, Joshua. Um, that's it's so wonderfully put and I think encapsulates all of the specificities really around this film that I particularly, I, I find striking. I mean, the start of the film for me immediately tells me 
that I'm going to have a really horrible time watching this film. I should premise this by saying I love this film, but it's not a film that I feel remotely comfortable watching. And I think that's also where a lot of its power comes from for me. But the opening of the film is in a uh, probably the worst place in the world for me, which is a canteen restaurant. And there's food being plopped down on a plate. And then there's there's like discussions around meat. And then when Justine is sort of eating the potato and she spits it out, all of these things are just absolutely unbearable in a sort of the way that food's textures affect me and always have affected me. The sounds that you get in those environments in relation to um, misophonia, which, I mean, I was in the cinema yesterday and I could hear every single person eating food. I swear it's getting worse. I don't know if, if misophonia can get worse as you get older, but it's like, my whole head feels like it's going to explode. It's like my brain is on fire and I don't know how to make it stop. Um, it's absolute hell. And this for me, I mean, I, I I used to wonder why I'd sort of stopped eating or struggled with, with, with eating food when I was younger. Um, and of course, when you're told that you're anorexic, that automatically becomes associated with ideas of body image, but it's not necessarily related to the fact that eating food is just unbearable or being in eating environments is unbearable. Um, so I became a vegan quite young because I realized I, I was sort of working out which food textures I could and can cope with. And I think that that's sort of what you see in the start of this film is like the, the sort of visceral response to what having meat inside your body is like um and it's not something that i can possibly comprehend and it's it's, it's really funny because i used to <laughs> i used to say a lot when i was a teenager that humans were probably the only meat that i'd consider eating um leave that to you to interpret in whatever way you want <laughs> and that's what this film is about it's sort of a literalization of that um so, you know, any 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 notion that that would be the case is sort of put out of my, my mind by watching this film. I don't know why that is, but it's it's just a, a really extraordinary thing about how the body responds to food and and flesh in general, um, which I think is the running theme for Dukana in in all of her films is the way that the human body can prompt these these kinds of highly intense, overwhelming ideas that can really only be expressed through through body horror. I think it's such a useful um such a useful metaphor and way of framing the sensory overwhelm that we experience. And I I, I find it hard to imagine that Dukanar is not someone who is a highly sensitive person. I could I imagine that she probably she she must be someone who is so aware of her body and the agony and hell of that experience, um, of which food is something that I I find uh, is a very strong part of that. So so right from the the start of Raw, I um immediately in I mean that 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 scene to me is actually more horrific than a lot of the cannibalistic scenes that come later on. Those moments are the ones that really set me on edge and make me feel like I'm going to have a panic attack. Um rather than the sort of more grisly horror that we see uh, later on in the film. And the same, of course, goes for the fact that what you were talking about, about being sort of in the environment that Justine is, is put into. I mean, that like 
when she's in her room and then she expects one to have a female flatmate and then it turns out to be a man and then there's like people coming into her room and messing stuff up and then she's in the middle of a party I mean I'd have a complete total breakdown and I have done in you know uh lesser situations than that just get have really intense meltdowns at that kind of environment being forced upon you and that sudden change of environment that you get in those situations where you're not allowed to adjust um yeah the opening of this film is is for me the the most intense and difficult part to to, to watch as an autistic person um whereas as it progresses it's actually quite sweet i find this film quite beautiful um i think there's a romance to cannibalism which is captured in this film so much better than it was in um bones and all the luca guadagnino film that came out last year which i think is absolutely dreadful but this film really finds the beauty in cannibalism, if such a thing can be said, or, or, or finds a beauty to it, which I think was lacking in, in, in that film. Sorry, I'm, I'm talking a lot. Uh, Janet, would you like to sort of summarise your, your impressions of it? Sure. I mean, you've, you've both said so many interesting things about it. Um, I agree with you about the opening of the film being the most difficult part, particularly the the sequence with the with the students coming into the room and the the hazing, the way that um, Justine is made to be part of this ritual, which is which is really quite quite violent and well, just a, a complete disorientation, really, in a moment in which she's trying to 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 work out where she is in a new space. I also I'm also thinking about the way in the quite early on in the film, there's a discussion of sort of the ethics of eating meat, sort of picking up on some of your points about the, the vegetarianism, veganism, um, and that that awful sequence with the parents where they they eat in the canteen on the way to the, the veterinary college, um, then sort of gets reproduced in the college when she sits down to mm. eat. She sits down to eat, and someone says to her, "You know, oh, you're, you know, so it sort of ch- makes a challenge about her veganism. You know, if you don't, if you don't eat meat, do you put animals on the same level as humans? And if you do so, well, it, it is eating humans the same as eating animals? There's a no distinction. Um, and I thought that that was, in some ways, the kind of the the framing of the film. That question, which then gets explored through all of the kind of visceral sequences of of her having a taste for for human flesh rather than the as well as meat um but of course it doesn't just do that it's also sort of saying something about appetite as well isn't it about once you have an appetite for something you mm. it, it grows it's out of control and i and that's where this you know the the parallel sex stuff comes in and it, i hadn't really thought explicitly about food and sex being about taking things in and out of your body potentially um and that you know of course there's something about food that's very sensual and sexual and that's been in films throughout the history of of cinema but there's there's something here that puts the two things together not necessarily in a way that's that's appealing but quite the opposite in a way that or, or questions what it is about those two acts of eating or of, of having sex that that are appealing and sort of upends which one we would take it take to be pleasurable so so I was yeah I was thinking about those that that correlation between sex and and eating and then how they're they're put together in the film and that's that's part of the um 
the the journey we go on is to find them quite inseparable through this character. Um, the 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 other thing I wanted to say, just in response to what you're saying about about the the horror, what what gives you particular horror? The the scene that probably that gave me the most horror was her dragging out the hairball from her mouth, and it seemed mm. like. Um, a real David Lynchian moment. It really reminded me of a razorhead, which we've talked about on this podcast already. Um, it was that sort of, you know, and it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going and it's quite brilliant. And it's that real sense of, you know, Mary Douglas's abject, you know, something that is neither kind of the body or outside of the body. It's, a, it's an in-between thing, but also it's, it's something that tends to be external. So the fact that it's coming from inside is so horrifying. So something quite simple about, about, about putting one material inside of another hair inside of mouth is actually so horrifying I think is is you know a really good use of of the genre of body horror I thought that was fantastic fantastically horrifying I'm really glad you brought up um objection because I recently was looking at powers of horror for something I was writing about um a razor head and I think talking about the very first scene, which I agree, I think is one of the most disturbing, um, but especially when she eats the meat by accident and spits it out. Um, there's this passage in in, in that essay uh, about how, you know, the response to something external that, that challenges your, your idea of meaning. So, for example, something that is decaying, something that's dead, like the skin of uh, skin of milk when it's rotten can cause you to spit it out, uh, and in a sense, thinking of of meat, which is literally like a dead body, and the idea of spitting out um, a body that isn't yours, that belonged to something else, that is now dead, to me, really, really spoke to that idea because this the whole concept of abject is about creating a new sense of meaning by distinguishing yourself from from your mother, from your past, and sort of forming this uh, new sense of identity, which really sort of encapsulates the whole film. It's about the whole process of going to university, of going to college, is about reinventing yourself and finding a new identity. But for a lot of people, it's challenging the identity that's already been built for you. And that is something that's incredibly traumatic. The Yeah, the scene which I think we've, we've picked up on where she expects a female roommate and it ends up being a male roommate and they say, well, I'm gay, so it's basically the same thing. And it's still like your concept of of gender and gender difference is something that is still quite uh, difficult to wrap your head around. And she's given no time to adjust to any of these things. Um, And whilst I think going to university and having sort of challenging experiences is a good thing. They're good on one's own terms, but Justine isn't allowed to experience these on her own terms. A lot of these she's sort of coerced into doing by her sister. Um, And so there's this Mm. sisterly relationship between them in which Justine looks up to her sister as sort of an example of someone who's cool, someone who's been initiated already into this into this group, into college, into sort of adolescent pre-adult life. And this is something that Justine has to accept as normal because she can't fall back on her own impulses. Uh, she has to learn from her sister. But as she finds out, her sister uh is also has a craving for raw meat. And there's this really disturbing scene where 
Alexia brings her to a road. And we see this scene right at the beginning of the film where someone jumps in front of a car and the car crashes. And we're not really sure where this comes from. And then we see uh, Alexia bringing Justine to this site uh, and causing this car crash and then proceeding to eat the brains of the of the victim. And so this isn't something that, again, that Justine discovers, well, she does to an extent discover by herself because she eats Alexia's finger bef- uh, beforehand. Um, but Alexia sort of picks up on this new craving and further enables it in uh, as opposed to sort of wanting her to, to get better, which sort of, it speaks to this coercive forming of identity that a lot of people especially I and I would say a lot of autistic people do feel growing up I certainly did because of the pressures of masking of the pressures of wanting to resemble my peers and erasing any sense of identity that I already that I already had because it didn't seem um good enough for anyone else um and so this is really how Justine becomes enabled to eat other people and sort of feed into her desires, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, what both of you were talking about the the ideas of objection in particular, because uh, I, I remember watching this film for the when when did it come out? Twenty sixteen, is that right? Yeah. So I and I think it was around the time when I was a lot of there were certain horror films from the two thousands that were being sort of reclaimed, and I was sort of starting to understand and read. Um, Julia Christopher and Barbara Creed and the ideas of the monstrous feminine, which is so important to this film and the sort of the ideas of mothers as well. And the um, spoiler alert for the listeners, but the end of the film when it's sort of revealed that this isn't just something that is peculiar to Justine, but is something that sort of runs in her family and and, and is a matrilineal heritage that that is established, which is very much part of what uh, Christopher and and, and Creed write about. Uh, um, And I, I was thinking about this film as a sort of more art house version of something like Jennifer's Body or um, my my favourite of that ilk, uh, Teeth, which is the um, the great Vagina Dentata movie, which still I don't think has been properly sort of reclaimed as a masterpiece, or even though it is in many ways. Um, and the idea of Vagina Dentata seems to connect what you were both talking about in, in relation to sex and um, notions of objection in women. And the castrating potential that a cannibalistic woman I suppose has during the act of sex I mean that's not something that happens in this film she doesn't actually sort of bite off any penises that's true isn't it I mean I'm sure I'd remember if she did that in the film um but it it, it's the the threat that that is something that could happen is sort of what is giving her a form of power over men um, in this film, and is certainly the case in in something like Jennifer's Body or or in Teeth. I don't I don't know what 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 that sort of has to do with autism as such. I, I, I suppose it's sort of the act of intimacy as as one of fear and and anxiety and and an entering of the unknown of the body that is that is very much sort of a, a part of that. Um, and also the the idea of of you were talking about masking and sort of a, a sort of passing within this film is that anyone could be a cannibal and this sort of the fear of the unknown within within you know if she was an autistic person 
she's blending in fairly well, I suppose. And and the idea that you wouldn't know which one was sort of the autist or, or in this case, the, the cannibal, um, which I think is, it has, has a certain relatability in that aspect. And I think that's something that, that Duke is really interested in. And she really takes that further forward into Tan, which is very much, again, about sort of the matrilineal lines and the ending of that film in particular sort of realises that beautifully when you have uh, Alexia or Adrienne giving birth at the, at the end of that film to a baby which has, has sort of metal w- within it that's coming from her. And her that whole film is really, well, I mean, the first part of that film is the second half of that film is very much about someone trying to pass as um, a different gender within a very intense masculine environment where there is a threat against them, which is very similar to the threat that you sort of feel around Justine, the, the sort of rev- the idea of revelation. It's like when she takes the burger in the canteen at the at the school and tries to hide it and she doesn't get away with it. She's constantly trying to sort of hide things from people and her behaviours from people, which I think does have resonance um, in in aspects of autistic experience where it's sort of attempting to to conceal one's behavior and and to some extent one's identity which is which is i think is also a part of it is that justine doesn't uh and and sort of the ending of the film with when she's talking to her father which is just you know it, it's, it's so obviously freudian i don't need to actually state why um but it's and and he sort of says to her i hope you learn how to live with this because it's it's not some it's not it's not saying you know there's a cure for this behavior it's just who you are as a person and how you're going to have to deal with it um in a way that is manageable and i mean then the implication of course with the father sort of telling his daughter that the 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 idea that we've actually sort of been able to incorporate that into into our marriage and into our sex life to create something that's that's that is healthy is quite is quite extraordinary I, I think these ideas are very interesting. I think that's really the power of her of her filmmaking. Um, and to think that she's only made two solo directorial features and um, a very an amazing short film called Junior, um, which is really, really good, about puberty. And I think I'm right in saying that the lead character in that is played by um, the same actress who plays Justine in Raw. Um, I haven't seen it for 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 a couple of years, but um, yeah, uh, that, that that that's yeah. Thank you. It's it's about pubescent experience, which, as you were saying, Georgia, is sort of for for girls. It's the it's the time where you're masking, but you don't know what it's called. It's like you don't know how to describe it as that. A lot of us don't even know that we're actually autistic. Um, so it's it, it it it's about how we how we learn to to fit into a certain mold that is imposed on us and i suppose that's that's also what's going on in raw is sort of the her, her her films have sort of followed this progression um and i'm very interested to see where what extremes she can possibly take that to next maybe maybe she won't create another extreme film i have no idea <laughs> I suspect- where do you go from titan oh my god <laughs> I, I'm not sure, but I suspect she will. Um, yeah, I listening to you to talk about the last scene, I think is is really interesting. It made me think about what the film does in terms of ideas of a norm, that to begin with, the family are not the norm for the college life because they're vegan. 
Um, and then by the end, they're all <laughs> exposed that they're all cannibals. So it's sort right. of, he's approaching these ideas of like fitting in or not fitting in. And and as you said, I really like your description of of the the parents' relationship and the way that that cannibalism has been accommodated by you know their sex life and and, and the scars on on his chest revealing that this is you know some idea of sort of feeding is is part of their 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 everyday life. So that 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 was that's really interesting. I also, Georgia, loved your whole take on the film as this sort of like the the abjection of adolescent life. That going to college is is all about those breaks and establishing a new identity, and the abject being part of sort of getting out, getting rid of the in between bits. I suppose. Um, can I um, embarrass you, Lillian, by um, reading something that that you wrote about? Um, do canal in the in in your piece on um titan rather than this but it was where you bring up um the question of what's so magnetic about her films and you come up with this idea of um or what she she describes as body empathy so this is you this is the physical impulse we feel when we see another person experience pain and we recoil in self-protection because even if we've never faced that precise pain before, our brain triggers a sense of it. So we know not to let it happen to ourselves. Forget emotional connections. You want your audience to immediately empathize with your characters, smash their nose against the sink. So <laughs> really nice encapsulation of, of, of what it means in her films. But I'm really interested in this idea of body and empathy. I mean, largely mm. because of the whole kind of disputed status of empathy in the history of autism um and it's you know damian milton's brilliant comeback at that in recent years with the idea of double empathy that neurotypical people have no idea and no interest in understanding autism and in fact it's far more the lack of empathy is far more from the other way around but this idea of body empathy seems to bring together two two parts of those discussions one about the body about the sensory and the other one about ideas of empathy being relatedness to to others so i i don't know i just wanted to kind of open this up to think about what is happening in raw when we are presented with bodies being bitten, um, eaten, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, chewed up. In, I mean, one of the moments that that happens when Justine eats her sister's finger, which you've already referenced. I thought that became quite a kind of cute moment between the sisters. Um, so there was something, although it was horrifying, there was also a kind of a different emotion and a different reading that came through that. So it seemed to carry something about body horror, but then also to convey something about their relationship where, I mean, I I don't know about you both, but, you know, I have a, I have a sibling, I have a sister, and it was very recognisable to me, that sort of sense of like, you know, on the one hand, complete anger to my sibling for having done something mean, and then also sort of forgiveness because, oh, well, you know, it's just, it's just sister. Um, and it, the way in which it's like, yeah, you know, that hospital scene when the parents come and, and the sister walks out with the kind of the hand bandaged and you can see that there's half a finger missing. And, and I was expecting her to say, like, you know, for the horror to really explode, then how could you possibly have eaten my finger? But it doesn't. It, the film holds it as like, yeah, that was a bit of a mean thing to do. You ate my finger. <laughs> um, 
I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, what what you thought of that moment, but I it sort of seemed to move. That whole sequence seems to move from horror to something that that brought them close together. I think it has a lot to do with again, sort of challenging your perceptions of of relationships and boundaries, which is something that comes with with adolescence. It's you know usually that's what you would expect because eating someone is bad. That's what we've been brought up to learn, and it is bad, but. In, in a sort of a broader sense, you know, I, you know, I was brought up thinking, you know, drinking is really bad. Drinking alcohol is really bad. It's a vice. You know, I, I went to church when I was younger. So these are the sorts of ideas that were quite prominent. And then I go to high school and I go to university and it's like, well, if you drink alcohol, it means that you're cool. It means that you are, uh, if you don't drink alcohol, you can't come to these parties and you can't uh, hang out with people. And so it says, oh, okay, I'm re-evaluating what my values are based on other people. And I agree, it is quite a sweet moment. When, when she's, I mean, even I think the music is quite upbeat because it's this sort of this moment of self-discovery, which is quite nice. Um, and obviously it doesn't later become something nice because their relationship sort of goes through a lot um, as they sort of, as they realize that they both have the same the same condition um but it's this sort of process of realizing what your vices are um, and indulging in them to a point where you realize their your limits and your boundaries and the point where you realize what is your identity and what isn't and i think um the moment where justine thinks for a second that she has killed um her friend i've forgotten his name um, but the moment where she wakes up in bed with him and she uh, thinks that she's killed him because she reaches down to touch his penis and what comes out is blood, um, which I guess could be the one moment of of the fear of, of eating the penis, which we've talked about before. But um, she believes that she's killed him and then she looks over and she sees that it was actually um, her sister. And so the responsibility shifts onto her and then she sees what her sister becomes and then it's just another rejigging of the identity to sort of take herself away from that um so that was sort of that sort of my my take on it and I think the idea of body empathy is also I'm glad we're talking about this too because when I watched so I watched Titan before I ever watched Raw mm. so that was the first uh Ducournau film that I ever watched and I remember in the cinema thinking, I love this film, but I I felt the need to to leave at certain points just because, especially the things that were happening with her body, with her pregnant body. I you know I've never been pregnant. I don't know what that's like, but the way that she was contorting her body and the things that were happening to her body while she was pregnant, it felt it was this sort of um, it goes back to like film phenomenology in a way of of like feeling what is seen on screen uh, without too much explanation of it. And, and I felt almost a sensation of pain mm-hmm. watching her body go through all that. And it's sort of a similar thing. It's a very similar thing in Raw, especially with uh, the taking the hair out of the throat. Um, I have a huge sort of fear of hair and that's one of my biggest sensitivities is like having hair in my mouth is something that I I really can't deal with so that scene for me is is probably the most disturbing um because 
it's something it, it's very difficult to to untangle from from yourself and it's not something that belongs in your body hair belongs outside of your body and it's this sort of merging of things that don't belong together that causes this sensation of just like you know of objection again in a way I'm objecting myself even though these aren't my experience or the experiences of the character but it gives you such a powerful feeling of of empathy um which is why <laughs> which is why in a way I think I'm drawn to a lot of body horror films which seems strange to say because it's something that I feel horrible towards but I think it's this uh feeling of identification that really uh, sticks with me you know the unpleasant feeling I get from watching these isn't um you know doesn't make me not want to watch them it makes me in a way more drawn to it because it's an experience I have a lot in my life and and with external objects that I find disgusting and that I wish to take myself away from but I'm challenging myself to be in close proximity to them because of the way that they challenge me make me feel I feel that a similar way to Cronenberg's films especially films like Crash um, really challenge what I can what I can handle in terms of body horror and uh transhumanism i think is a huge uh theme with cronenberg but it, that in it's that similar confusing of these of these categories uh and fusing the body with things that are external that are internal that create these anxieties but more than anything like a fascination so i've been working on a short film for a while now um about the sort of um about the idea of of inflicting pain on yourself because of, of of a fascination. So, for example, in the film that I'm developing, it's about um, fascinations people have with pulling their own teeth, and the pain that comes with it sort of brings you know these new sen- these sensations of euphoria that you you get from pain, which is something two things that should not coexist, but somehow scientifically sometimes these two sensations do coexist. Um, and especially when you're coming into your adolescence, learning how these two things can um, merge together and where you need to separate them and where your boundaries and your limits are. And I think that's that's a lot of my relationship with these films is about my own fascination with my own body and uh, where my limits are in terms of how much I can feel, how much I can relate to a certain sensation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember being at university and I was doing my master's in film and um, we had a session on haptic cinema. And I remember, I forget who it was who was teaching this class, but she said that uh, haptics is a myth. It's not something that just sort of really exists. That You can't watch a film and have these kinds of these kinds of sensitivities, which I was shocked by. Um, and I suppose that, that, but that to me says... Maybe for some people that's not the case. And I think this is something that I, I notice a lot in all forms of art is that is the way that sometimes, and I think that this is something that is often true of being neurodivergent is that you sort of have to learn that your way of seeing things is very different to how other people see things. And it's like um, if I go to a classical music concert and my whole body will be having physical, emotional response, and I'll be crying my eyes out, and the person next to me could be totally unmoved by it. It's it's a similar thing with with film. So maybe maybe for, maybe I just can't imagine watching a film or 
it's kind of sad. There's there's a loss there. There's because if you're watching a film and you're not feeling those things physically, then you're not having as involved an experience as someone who is. But maybe it's maybe it's the case that that people are. I mean, I um I particularly love the book the the skin of the the skin of the film by Laura U. Marks, which is um which is really um an extraordinary book, which sort of develops on uh, Vivian Sobchak and to create something really really wonderful so I, rec- I recommend reading that if, if, if people haven't but I, I just on this point I just um, I wanted to because I, I asked Julia Ducanel about this when when I interviewed her after to turn one um, the Palme d'Or at Cannes um, I just wanted to read what she said because I think it I think it captures what what we're talking about beautifully and it's it's it could be reassuring to hear sometimes from a filmmaker that <laughs> what you what your ideas around the film are, are are true to them as well so i asked the question um the physical impact of the film produces a bodily response or empathy in the audience how do you approach that haptic form of effect um your films inspire and she said there is no hierarchy in emotional and physical response for me i don't consider emotions more noble than body empathy they are different tools and it depends on where you are in the story Body empathy for me is very important at the beginning of the film because at that point it's impossible to relate to her, meaning Alexia. Um, She's too far away. We don't have any values in common. So knowing that I needed her to be uh, distant at the beginning and yet knowing that most people would leave the film after five minutes if they could not relate to her, I had to find a way in. For me, that entry point is always the body. The body is a place where everyone can commune. We are all equal in front of our vulnerability, our mortality. The fact that our body image is always shit for everyone. Let's not pretend that anyone is happy with their body. If you have what is called a perfect body, you're never going to be satisfied by it. So for me, all this is incredibly moving and something I really like to work on. What an extraordinary and validating thing to hear someone say. Um, and just so eloquent. It's just extraordinary that, that you know, she know she has all of these these ideas and these these sensitivities. I mean, the so many people just describe that and i mean may, maybe actually the best moment in raw for, um raw rather than to to turn for, for sort of capturing that that experience is the shot that's sort of under under her bed cover and she's just absolutely writhing with her body um she's sort of she just cannot find a position of comfort because the whole experience of of being bodied is just so overwhelming. And the way that she's sort of scratching herself at the start of the film, it's almost like she's like trying to rip something out, which is of course something that we've, we've, has also been talked on the podcast in um, like Under the Skin or a great example for Cronenberg is, is Crimes of the Future, which I think would make a an excellent extended discussion around around autism, uh, especially the dialogue in that film, extraordinary. But um, it's the the idea that there's something underneath trying to get out, and the way that the skin is this sort of sensitive layer that that covers us, and and it's just all so overwhelming and so difficult a lot of the time. Um, you were talking about hair, Georgia, and how you can I, I I always feel like I can feel every single hair on my body which is why I, I always have to just get rid of them as quickly as I can as soon as hairs start appearing it's like be gone um other than on my head but even that can be overwhelming sometimes um because they just you can feel them so they're so present and I and other people don't have that experience um so it's 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 working out 
our different sensitivities, but I think it's quite extraordinary that Ducanal has managed to find things that do what she says about um, the, a place that everyone can commune, the effort, that there are these, these specific things which we can all relate to and be that, you know, be, what was it I said? Uh, smashing someone's nose against a sink. That's one. No one's going to, well, I mean, maybe some people would probably look at that and go, wow, I'd love that to happen. But <laughs> the, the majority of people are not go- are going to watch that and go, that would hurt. That would be really, that would be a really horrible thing to happen. Mm. And I, I, I suppose you can also do that through, like, in terms of the actual sort of materiality of, of film. There's a very heightened um, sound design and sound mixing in her films. Um, you know, we you hear bones breaking and you hear the flesh in raw sort of squelching when she's eating. You, it's so it's so intense, and that to me captures what it feels like all the time, wherever I am and whatever I'm experiencing. I, I think that idea of cinema being about the sensory rather than being about cognitive relays of identification you know so much of film theory has understood cinema as that that sort of emotional cognitive thing and I think what we're talking about today is really at the heart of of the project about autism through cinema which is about what you know what else is cinema what other ways can we understand it and I think this discussion about the haptic is absolutely right, that cinema is incredibly powerful, perhaps at its most powerful, when it's operating through um, the body. And that 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 quote you read, Lillian, was, was really quite lovely as well. That there is something about that we all experience that because we are, we are all vulnerable in our bodies, um, as well as enjoying some sort of pleasure that it isn't us as well, possibly in the cinema. <laughs> um, but it reminds me also of, you know, Vivian Subjects, line about the skin is faster than 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 the eye or the, the brain that then we experience it before we know we've experienced it in watching a film and I think there's there's quite a lot of the pleasure in in watching raw that you know you just you just feel something before before you actually understand what's properly happening there's there's one other thing that I wanted to talk about which is kind of the status of animals in this but I don't know if this is the right mm. time to bring it in whether you want to carry on picking up threads that are already there no animals is a good one to talk about because yeah I think the the, the distinctions made between I mean I sort of jokingly referred to this at the start of the episode about the distinctions I make between animals and humans is that I see uh, animals as innocents and <laughs> humans as sort of um, guilty or immoral, um, or at least I used to when I was younger. Um, and and I think that that's that's what this film is about in some ways. What distinctions are made between the human flesh and the animal flesh, and the the sort of the characterization? I mean, the humans in this film are absolutely horrible. I hate all of them. They're just really, really awful. Um, which was very much my experience growing up. I just sort of didn't like people <laughs> um, until I got to university and met people who were sort of more similar to myself. But that, that sort of forced sociability that comes from being at school and being in those environments and being pressured into doing things and it's just horrendous. Whereas animals won't do that and animals don't expect anything of you. They they have a have an innocence to them. I find it really distressing 
looking at the animals that are sort of dead in this. I mean, the the dog that she's dissecting is a really horrendous image. And I, 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 I think that's, you know, animals are used in therapy a lot now, I suppose. But also there is there is a there is a connectivity to animals that um we've talked about quite a few times um on the podcast. I mean, be that Kiki and Kiki's delivery service with with Shiji, her cat, or um I'm struggling to think of other examples. But anyway, the 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 connection that we we as humans have to animals and I think sometimes as an autistic person, I actually can point to an animal <laughs> and say, that's what, that's how I'm feeling right now. It's just an animal doesn't have to mask so they can behave in whatever mode of distress or satisfaction rather, rather than sometimes to, to, to human behavior. There is a certain, I, I think that the, 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 the film Raw is, is, is often about how primal we are as humans and how much we try to deny that and resist it but when we give in to those instincts it can be both dangerous but it can also be beautiful i do think it's interesting that um once she first has the taste of the the raw meat she she has some more animal meat but it's human flesh that she eventually develops an obsession for there's really not a large part of the film in which she's eating animals which i i took as 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 her values which she quite asserts about being quite uh you know caring for animals and being the one who stands up for animals in in veterinary school as well all of these people are just so horrible about animals and they're the people in the who are going to take care of them but you know she has quite a, a love for animals and so i i saw that as sort of a similar thing that you were saying lillian about you would rather eat human flesh than animal flesh because it's you know, there's still that that those values sort of remain, but they in a, in a really weird, sort of twisted way, which I, I you know I quite like that about her, that she you know maintains some sense of herself, apart from when she's eating like the raw chicken and all of that, which I got a bit anxious about because I also have a fear of germs, <laughs> so eating the raw chicken, I was like ah, that was one of the most disturbing. The disturbing things for me. Yeah, that was quite horrible, wasn't it? But thinking thinking about the the veterinary college as this this framing of the film, it's all about the parents having been there, isn't it? That they they're telling her as she arrives in their car, you know, oh, it's looking a bit shabbier than when we were here. Um, well, that's my assumption anyway. Perhaps it's when they took the sister there. I don't know. But anyway, the whole the whole idea of caring for animals is is the setup, it's it's the location we go to. And there are these strange scenes in the film that I'm thinking of the one with the horse, where we see the horse being wow. um, injected and slowly slump while it loses, seems to almost lose consciousness, although its eyes are still open. And we the 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 camera stays with this as we watch watch the horse sort of gently collapse and they bring a mattress around it and and fold, fold the sides up and are able to lift the horse and i found that a really curious moment of 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 not understanding whether this was going something violent was going to happen to the horse and in fact that was the beginning of the violence or whether the horse was being cared for and similarly with the with the autopsy that that is going to be conducted by students on on the dead dogs that there was I, I sort of thought oh is this all right you know have, have animals been killed for this film or or harmed or have these carcasses just been these animal bodies been brought in 
um, because they were dead already. You know, I kind of, it, it brought me somewhere into the real with the film as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. What I'm wondering what, what you thought of that. I don't know. I should look at the credits and see if they if if it, if it, if it has the sort of no animals were harmed. I mean, it, they can't possibly have been harmed because they wouldn't have released it in the UK. Um, there's quite strict rules on 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 being able to show such things, which is why um, Sergei Bondarchuk's War and Peace is, is still not able to be released in the UK because the horse gets shot in it. Anyway, that's a weird tangent. Um, but. Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I. I mean, I find those scenes incredibly distressing. The the dog sort of whimpering, and the, there's a long shot of that. The and the horse as well. Although that actually reminds me because we were when we were doing the Isaac Julian episode, and I mentioned Running Thunder, which is filmed by Steve McQueen, which is the a shot of a horse with its eye open, and you're not sure if it's alive or dead until a fly lands on it and it doesn't blink. Um, and it's, I don't know, I suppose the empathy that we have for something as it's dying and in death, you know, what is the empathy that we can have for an animal? How does empathy work between humans as, as something that, that is different from empathy to animals? And I suppose empathy for autistic people is something that is seen as being learned. I certainly have a feeling that it's something I learned rather than I have innately, which is why I find it just as easy to empathize with an animal as I do with a human. So I suppose those scenes up to me, those scenes to me are more distressing than watching like men get the flesh ripped out of them. I couldn't care less. Um, so it's, it's, it's an extraordinary, it's an extraordinary thing to mention because I think I think that is, I suppose also when you when you see a human being harmed on screen, you know they're not actually being harmed. Whereas with an animal, it's their very presence is something that is distressing. If it's a real animal, then they're going to be in some form of distress within this process and. Um, I suppose it's something that I've questioned a lot over the years, the extent to which you can actually even incorporate animals with, within a film. It's like, um, I don't know if you've read Sarah Polly's most recent book when she talks about um, having children in your films is inherently unethical because um, child actors cannot consent to being uh, on set. And it, it's an extra, extraordinary thing that she, she writes about sort of reflecting on her own experience as a, as a child actor. I don't know. And I, I, I think that, yeah, I think I think the main thing for me in watching those sequences is just how upset I get watching them, which is so different to how I feel watching the scenes that I suppose are supposed to upset you. But I get the impression that Dukanov doesn't isn't distressed by that either. To show something like these cannibalistic acts to her is not that there is a beauty to them. I don't know. Is that a strange thing to say? I, don't, I want to reassure the listeners that I have never consumed human flesh. I, I, mu- I must. I must stress this point um, because I feel like. But but I'm trying to. I th- I think it's what 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 I love about this film is that it challenges you to to see something on on a different level to how we would actually experience something or respond to something in the real world. If we saw this in reality, it wouldn't be, it would be intensely distressing. Whereas because it's in a film and there is an artifice to it, it, it's something that we we are challenged to, to find something beautiful within it. And I, and I think also for Dukanau, it's, it's very much, it's a literalization of what sex is, as you said, Janet earlier about sort of, uh, eating and having sex is is um uh having something inside your body um and and the sort of 
the the idea of sort of physically devouring someone being literalized is very interesting it also it also sort of make, make, make makes a farce of what sex is and how far and how sex exists so I, I, th- I think is very very compelling as a through line yeah it, it it's really interesting because a lot of people who have written about this film and a lot of films about cannibalism as they talk about you know cannibalism as a metaphor for sex and sexuality but again I don't think it's a metaphor at all it is like a literalization of it as you say mm. it makes me think of um I mentioned Yellow Jackets before, but um, and this is a, the spoiler for the second season if anyone hasn't seen it. But so there's a part where um, one of the girls, where they're like surviving out in the wilderness, one of the girls um, dies of hypothermia, and there's one girl in particular who's you know grieving her death because they were quite close. But the, throughout the season, there was always teased a sort of um, a sort of romance between these two girls. And so she can't sort of let go that this girl's died. So she stays with her in this sort of meat shed um, and sort of talks to her, uh, her dead body. And it sort of culminates in um, she she moves her around and her ear falls off and she becomes so upset by the fact that her body is starting to come apart and she holds her ear. And right at the last moment before the episode ends, she puts the ear in her mouth and she eats it, which is a scene that I I, I love because I sort of felt like it was coming. But again, it's this, and this again is Karen Kusama who directed Jennifer's Body who produced this. Again, it's it's yeah, the idea of eating something that shouldn't be eaten, but also putting something inside your body, uh, and the sort of what that means for that relationship. Because again, this relationship between these two people in Yellow Jackets, between Jackie and Shauna is like it, it's something that isn't really explored literally it's just um it's just sort of there in the subtext and then it really i think becomes clear when uh shauna eats her decaying ear which i think it, it very much translates to a lot of depictions of cannibalism in film i agree with you lillian that i think bones and all is a particularly weak example of this because i think i think we were talking about it at some point and we agreed that it actually didn't go far enough <laughs> with the cannibalism um, because it's supposed to be this sort of epic romantic story of of two lovers who find each other through their shared desire to eat other people. And again, this is a bit of a spoiler for that film, but it, it ends with one of them is dying and asks the other to eat them. But the thing that I just don't understand is they don't really show any of it. No. And for me, and for me, that's like that was the crux of the film. Is is like that is the point of their relationship. Is one was always going to consume the other, and we just don't see that. So I, I do think that's a particularly weak example. But you know, we see Justine. I think someone I saw reviewing on Letterboxd saying Justine is eating Alexi's finger like it's a chicken wing, like she's literally just like <laughs> licking her fingers, you know. And it's quite a sweet moment, and you you see it in its fullest, and you see this sort of bond between them in a way um when when she eats the finger so yeah I, I find it interesting that Ducorno does take it to that extent that it deserves to really go to I, I was reminded of Peter Greenaway's The Cook the Thief Wife and His Lover the yes. the the, uh, the problem have with with the idea that eating human flesh could be at all ritualized and you know, to be, be be a pleasurable experience and an acceptable experience. I feel like I'd like to talk more about animals. He eats, we... Wait, he eats the penis and cook the thief, his wife and her lover. 
So Greenaway goes further than Duke and does. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the final scene when uh, Michael Gambon is 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 forced to to uh, eat the the flesh. My God, what a what a film! <laughs> I mean, we've talked about Greenaway before, but yeah, wow. Interesting to put these together. Actually, well, I, I, I mean, we should we should talk more about uh, body horror. I think I think we've we've we really, I mean, of course, and we should we must uh, we must talk about this with Ethan because he has all of the expertise on on horror films, of course. But um, I think I think what's what's been really particularly useful about having this discussion as the three of us is is that I think that Roar is very specific to um, a, a, a female experience of of being in a body. Um, or, or, or rather, as a sort of non cis male experience of that is 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 what uh, the, this this film sort of ex- explores, and I think it's been useful to to have that t- discussion. I agree. Well, um, thank you guys for this discussion, and thank you everyone for listening. I hope, like Lillian said, neither of us have eaten human flesh, so you're just going to have to take our word for that. Um, and you shouldn't either. We're not <laughs> endorsing that. Um, yeah, hope you all enjoyed. Goodbye. You have been listening to the Autism Through Cinema podcast, brought to you by the Autism Through Cinema project from Queen Mary, University of London. Our thanks to 344 Audio for editing this episode. Our theme song is Waterfall by Meter, used under a Creative Commons attribution from Null Teal Records. Many thanks for tuning in.